You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. There is a difference between the fact of Easter and the truth of Easter. And we find that difference in our text this morning in but a single word. I would invite you to open up your Bibles or the Bible in the pew rack in front of you to John chapter 20. Verses 11 through 18, this is our text this morning, and let's stand together as God's people and read aloud His Word. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, you find that on page 882 of our Pew Bible. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord. And if you believe it this day, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, we're reading God's Holy Word. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Lord, because you have ascended to the Father, you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us. And it is to this Spirit we now give invitation to speak and to bring forth the word of the Lord in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. There is a single word that turns the fact of Easter and the truth of Easter. And the first word that catches our attention here is the word woman. Did you notice that? It's repeated and it's rather awkward. A narrative that begins with Mary Magdalene and ends with Mary Magdalene has but a woman in between. And there are two questions that are put to this woman. One of the questions is, whom are you looking for? This, of course, is a question of identity. Whom are you looking for? Why, when the question is identity, would the address be to one merely woman and not Mary? Well, one wonders if it isn't to draw attention to the fact that the first witness to the resurrected Jesus Christ is, in fact, A woman. All of the gospel writers testify to the fact that 
They were women who first witnessed the risen Jesus. They were at the cross. They were at the tomb. And in fact, Mary Magdalene in all four Gospels is the first. This is a remarkable and astounding fact. If you were going to invent a story of the end of Jesus' life that would be the fulfillment of your wishes, the way it was supposed to end, you never would make up female witnesses. Women in this day in the Middle East did certainly not have standing in courts of law. They would not be allowed to be witnesses. This is one of the authenticating features of the gospel that speaks to its factuality. Women were the ones. But I think there's more than that. I think we're to notice that while we know the name of the character, she is merely addressed as woman because so many of us have wondered, who is this woman? There have been so many voices throughout history to to describe her or characterize her Mary Magdalene. Who is she? Do you know? We wonder. they got books about her and movies about her and... It was some 200 years after she lived her life, there was a cult group that believed that matter was all evil and passing away. And they adopted Mary Magdalene as their heroine and wrote a gospel about her, a couple of them. And then people began to speculate, well, maybe she is the sinner in the city in Luke 7, you know, who washes Jesus' feet with her tears. Or maybe she is the woman in John chapter 8, caught in adultery and soon to be stoned. Or maybe she is Mary of Bethany, the sister to Martha and Lazarus. Oh, we don't know. We've got all these speculations. But if you study the text of the New Testament, you see very clearly that she is she is none of these. Mary Magdalene is her own purpose person. And yet the question seems to dog her throughout history. Perhaps one wonders if. The lack of detail isn't left to us as a reminder that the story of her life has also been a story of seeking an identity. For in her life, there were many voices that sought to define exactly who she was as well. We don't know a lot about her, as I say, but there is one place in addition to her appearance at the end of the story, one place within this gospel story where we do get a little window into who this woman is, Mary Magdalene. It's in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. There Luke tells us about a group of women who are following Jesus. They're disciples together with the twelve. And he makes one passing comment about Mary Magdalene that I think reveals a lot. And that is that Jesus has cured Mary Magdalene of seven demons. Well, seven demons. Well, I don't know much about what that's, that is, although I know this. First of all, demons, uh, I mean, it's, it's the number seven is the number for whole and completeness. So whatever she had, she had a bad case of it. And the other is that wherever demons show up in the gospel accounts, there are always these voices who are trying to assault the sense of self in that individual. To, to redefine that person, to claim autonomy within that person, to be that person. And, and so it seems that while well, we would call this some kind of a psychiatric uh, condition in our day, Mary had a struggle throughout her life of voices that said to her, this is who you are. And it wasn't until she heard out of the midst of that cacophony, a single voice, one voice who spoke to her with a clarity and a beauty and an originality 
about who she really was, that she was set free. The voice of Jesus Christ in her life, and now she will follow him forever. I just wonder if the question the gardener puts to Mary is not well put to us this morning as well. Whom are you looking for? Because the Bible teaches us that every single one of us is made with a unique identity. And every single one of us, until we find out who we really are, are on a hunt. We're looking. We're looking for who we are. And of course, there are all kinds of voices that invite us. They say, oh, be be the sage, the wise one. Or how about the goofball? One of my favorites. The sufficient. The naughty. The successful. Or the vigorous. Or the committed. Be the victimized. Be the profound. Or be the indifferent. And all of these voices say to you, try me on today. Let's see how it fits. Maybe this could be you. The great spiritual autobiography of the West is called The Confessions of St. Augustine. Augustine of Hippo, 5th century, writes this classic, and it's simply a narration of his own faith and non-faith. Because he tells the story before Augustine came to faith in Jesus Christ, he lived a rather robust pagan life. And yet he looks back and he says, I see the fingerprints of the hunt of God right there with me the whole time. And as I pursue my life, I realize I'm pursuing God. As I pursue my identity, I realize I'm I'm pursuing the one who created me. So he writes in the confessions. But where was I when I was seeking you? You were there in front of me. But I had wandered away from myself. If I could not find my own self, how much less could I find you? What I do not know of myself, what I do know of myself, I know because you shed your light on me. And what I do not know of myself, I shall still not know until my darkness shall become as noonday in the vision of your face. And so this woman now stands in the garden before the face of a gardener, and yet she can't see. In her grief and perplexity and despair, she cannot see that face anymore. That one who in his life brought forth life within her and meaning and identity now will give her the same thing In his death, her new identity will be grief. And so this second question, this question that is asked of her twice, woman, why are you weeping? This question is not a question of identity like the first. This is a question of hope. It asks Mary to consider the facts of her grief. Why, Mary, why are you weeping? When she's got an answer to this, verse 13, she says, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She will be remade by this truth. She 
clutches to her chest the facts of Good Friday. Together with the tear-dampened spices of death that she brings to this grave, she clutches memory of the cross, of the spear in her Lord's side, of the corpse taken off the cross and carried to this place, a stone grave, even now death somehow violated by a grave robber. And oh yeah, there's this gardener. All the while, in the hands of the master narrator, John, the reader is howling at the screen. We're saying, Mary, open your eyes. Who do you think you're talking to? Who is it that's asking these questions? Angels and Jesus, will you look? Who do you think these are? Is this a couple of well-dressed polo players hanging out in a cave here? Is this really a gardener? See, she has all the facts of the resurrection, but none of its truth. If it's possible to walk among the facts, if it's possible to look the facts in the face, if it's possible to have a conversation with a living fact, Mary Magdalene does it. No one has ever gotten closer to the fact of the resurrection than Mary Magdalene. No one. And yet, it is not the truth for her. I, I tell you, the resurrection must be a fact of history. I believe with every fiber of my being, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact of history. That it's the central fact of history. That Christianity is founded upon that one objective fact. There's all kind of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you want to go into it in more detail, send me an email and I'll send you a book list. But just a few of them, you know, the Apostle Paul says in one of the oldest scriptures in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, that this Jesus was witnessed, resurrected by more than 500 people in different times, in different places, by many uh, women. The fact of the empty tomb. This is uh, something that even in the time of Jesus, even in our day, the opponents of Christianity don't know what to do. They acknowledge the tomb was empty. This tomb that had been sealed with a Roman seal, guarded with a, a Roman guard. Nothing should happen to disturb this venerated corpse. And yet the tomb is empty. Just produce the body and nobody ever has. The explosion of the church right in Jerusalem, in the heart of Judaism in a short period of time. The movement of Sabbath observance from Saturday to Sunday so quickly. And then the historical records of the Romans that testify to this growing movement beholden to one named Christus. No, there, there's so many facts. It's the one fact that turns all life on its head. The fact that brings life out of death, joy out of sorrow, hope out of despair. This is an objective fact. But friends, if the objective fact is not always also subjective truth for us, it may as well be fiction. It does not matter at all. Easter comes every year. Jesus is risen. What's for brunch? Right. And the gardener is standing right in front of Mary. What is it that turns the fact of history into the truth 
of the resurrection for Mary? A single word. One word. That word which my grandmother taught me when I was a young boy is every person's favorite word in any language. And that word is her own name. Mary. Did the gardener just call me Mary? Does the gardener know my name? Let it sink in. Mary. Jesus is alive. Jesus is in the garden with all of her facts and he speaks directly to her. He knows her by name and he calls to her by name. Mary. This is what Jesus always does. This is what Jesus did with the Samaritan women at the well, they talk together. All she cares about are the facts. You know, the facts of the Samaritans versus the Jews. The facts of worship. Is it here or there? And Jesus cuts right into it and he says, uh, truth. He speaks truth into the deepest, most private, personal spaces of her life. She's so ecstatic and amazed and astounded. She runs back to the city and goes through the streets saying, I met a man who told me everything I have ever done. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it feels that way when you meet the one who knows who you really are and addresses you accordingly. It was the same way with Saul of Tarsus, the great rabbi and scholar of Judaism who is traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's greatly angered by the facts of the resurrection, determined to extinguish these pesky Christians who acknowledge its truth. And then right there he hears that one word, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? His own name. And he says, who are you, Lord? There's a moment of recognition and that the resurrection becomes the truth for Saul. He will become the great Apostle Paul in a few days time. Jesus has the same word for you. Jesus has the same word for me. He knows your name and the truth of the resurrection comes home because he speaks it directly to you. He knows the facts of your life. Many of us come to Easter morning like Mary, weeping. Weeping There's a career that's been destroyed, a job that's been lost, a business that's gone under. There's a spouse who has passed away, a sister who is ill. There's a place that needs to be found as I lose my apartment. All these are facts. Yes, they're facts. They are. And there's no denying them. But these are not all of the facts. And as Sherlock Holmes reminds us, there is nothing more deceptive than an obvious fact. You see, because behind all of these facts is the one fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the center of history. And walking among all of the facts of your life and mine is the one who is the living truth, who is today alive, who knows your name and speaks it directly to you. John begins his gospel by reminding us that Jesus is the word who was with God and who is God. This tells us that God is a speaking God he reminds us that Jesus is the light who comes into the world to enlighten every person. This tells us that Jesus who speaks this personal word is speaking it to every one of us in this room right now. Every person in the world 
right now trying to get our attention. In the words of the Barman Declaration, which enabled the church to stand firm against the horrible facts of the Holocaust and World War II, Jesus is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. Let's hear this one word speaking to us today. Let's pray. Oh, risen Lord Jesus, we know who we are because you are risen today speaking to us. Thank you for the freedom of that. Thank you that we do not have to cling to you for you have ascended. And because you have ascended, you have poured out your Holy Spirit. And while until you return, we will not look into your face. We will not hear your audible voice speaking to our ears. We do hear this spirit speaking to the very depths of our soul, identifying us and disclosing yourself to us. Speak, Lord Jesus, speak. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.